This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Don't forget this program is also available as a podcast via the RSN website, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts or iTunes by simply searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting with a host of RSN's Breakfast Club and Carlton AFLW coach Daniel Harford. We're also catching up with the 2018 AFLW League Best and Fairest, Emma Carney. As well, we've got the reports on the Sanford Women's Competition with Ali Schiller from the QAFLW with Ant Wingard and we review round two of the VFLW with Matthew Cox. That's all coming up, but first the latest women's footy news. Well, plenty of signing news happening in the AFL women's competition, as you may have heard in the recent week or so. The Brisbane Lions have signed Irish woman Orla O'Dwyer, and two more Irish women have been signed straight off the back of the Crosscoders camp being held in Ireland over the weekend. Trent Cooper, the Fremantle coach, has announced that Anya Tai and Kate Flood have signed to the Dockers for the 2020 AFLW season. We look at the Richmond Tigers and two signings with very different backgrounds. 32-year-old Courtney Wakefield has been signed off the VFLW list to play for the Tigers in the AFLW 2020. She's actually based out of Mildura, takes uh, limited training sessions with the VFLW squad, but has announced that she will uh, temporarily relocate to Melbourne during the summer to be able to play in the national competition. They've also announced a signing that's made the Herald Sun. Uh, Taylor Stall-Smith's been a key for them up forward. Uh, Taylor Stall-Smith was one of the leading goal kickers in the AFL Southeast Women's Competition for the Bascos Breakers last year. And she'd also, in recent years, participated in a bank robbery as a getaway driver. That story is in the Herald Sun. Meanwhile, the Carlton Football Club have announced that former Magpies coach Wayne Seatman will be their list manager, while current footballer Katie Loins will take on the role of recruiting manager while still playing for Carlton in the AFLW. And finally, over to Columbia, where the historic match was played between the Bogota Bulldogs, and it was meant to be the Denver Lady Bulldogs. In the end, it was a mixture of women that had played in the USAFL women's competition, so I guess you could call it the USAFL All-Stars. And it was a win to the South Americans on debut. The Bogota Bulldogs beat the USAFL All-Stars 61-27. to And joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we've got on the line the host of RSN's The Breakfast Club, as well as the head coach of Carlton in the AFLW, it's Daniel Harford. Half, how are you? I'm Patrick, Pete, how are you, mate? Not too shabby at all, and... We look back now, it's been a year since you've had the job at Carlton. Your first initial impressions looking back at 12 months gone. Oh, look, um, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest with you, but I've had an absolute ball um, at the Carlton Footy Club and it's been made possible by the, the amazing people that I've been able to work with. And I don't think that changes anywhere you go working in footy, well, probably anywhere, really. But um, if you've got good people around you, you have great experiences more often than not, regardless of sometimes outcomes. And we've got just 
fantastic people at the footy club that work as part of the staff and then you've got the players who are so keen to to progress and develop again after the first couple of seasons in Navy Blue and, and it's been it's been a big 12 months it's been really good fun it's been a great learning curve for me from a coaching perspective it's the biggest job I've had in, in coaching in terms of managing the staff and, and trying to get a program back on its feet so it's um, yeah it's been it's been a busy 12 months Pete You'd already dipped your toe in the water beforehand as an assistant coach at Collingwood before coming out across to Carlton in the AFLW system. But still, was there anything that actually caught you surprised when taking over the role? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that the size of, of managing the... Uh, the the task of managing the size of the staff um, was my biggest challenge. I'm, I've coached for, well, up until um, this year, about 12 years beforehand. So I've been coaching for a while and I'm pretty set in my ways and I've, I've got my system in Pat, down Pat pretty well. So I've, I knew what I was doing from a format perspective, from a coaching uh, view, but managing the staff is something, uh, staff that big is something I've never had to do. So that was my greatest challenge to be able to manage all that as well as run the program and teach the teach the girls and put a game plan in place that was going to be effective. So yeah, that, that caught me, not off guard, but it just it was a bigger job than I anticipated um, initially. But once I got my feet under the desk, so to speak, um, and found my rhythm and found my groove, we, we got rolling. It was worked out pretty well. Do you think your previous roles with coaching at uh, St. Kevin's and Baldwin um, assisted in coaching in AFLW, considering the part-time nature of not only yourself, but the staff as well? No doubt, no doubt. Um, it's it's very similar in terms of contact. Well, not so much contact hours, but you know, the timing of training and and the games on the weekend. It's very similar. It's, it's after work activity, which is what I've been doing uh, effectively for twelve years when I was coaching local footy, as you say. So that routine became very familiar to me uh, throughout my time coaching local levels, and, and that just continued in the AFLW. Now you you do spend a, a fair bit more time from a coach coaching perspective at the club because uh, you're planning and preparing it's a bit more formal than, than local footy is and you've got a few more requirements to, to fulfil but uh, essentially the lifestyle of, of the AFLW coach uh, with the training times and, and that type of thing and, and the number of times you train per week is, is very similar to a local footy thing so I have no doubt that was a real benefit to me. Did you find uh, any struggles in adjusting from the 18-a-side game to the 16-a-side game? Some like to drop the wing, some like to drop uh, an extra player from defence to make it uh, five in the back half instead of six in the back half. Yeah, I, well, I got my head around that um, at the Pies the, the year before when I was an assistant over there. So I, I, I'd never come across 16-a-side footy up until that point in time. So it took me a while to get my head around how that was going to look and work and how it could best function, I suppose. But once I'd, I'd had that time at Collingwood, when I got the job at Carlton, I, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do with with the group. So the 16 or 18, it didn't really matter. I, I knew I had 16 to play with and, and I had a format in place that I was able to... Uh, teach to my coaches, um, which was who, who were good enough to be able to pass on to the players. So, yeah, it wasn't too big an issue once I got my head around it at the pass. The opening game of the season, you headed on down to uh, Tasmania to take on uh, the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos, and uh, it wasn't a great start. Uh, the Kangaroos uh, won on that day by six goals. What, what was the feeling, what was the vibe from the girls after the game, considering they're coming off a very difficult second AFLW season? Yeah, well, we were really disappointed, all of us, um, because there'd been so much promise and positivity through the preseason. Um, going into that game, we, we knew that North would be one of the better teams in the competition. We, well, we had a feeling that would be the case anyway. We didn't know because they'd never played 
as a team, but just had a feeling with the quality of their list that they were always going to be difficult. But we were really bullish and buoyant about our prospects up until that point. Um, and then we got a, a real whack to the schnoz, a real punch in the face by the Kangas, who were fantastic that day. And, and we didn't leave dejected, but we, we got a fair reality check about what the level of competition was going to be like throughout the season. Uh, and despite the fact that we've been really positive and buoyant and um, thought we'd, we'd come along quite well, uh, we still had a fair way to go. So in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that happened to us uh, to get that reality check early in the season so we knew what the level was and, and where we had to be. So, yeah, we were really disappointed after that performance. But pleasingly, um, we didn't drop our bundle. That was our job to try and get the heels up and, and make sure that the previous year's emotions didn't uh, roll into this season's. Uh, in round two, you would end up taking the side you'd eventually face in the grand final, the Adelaide Crows, which you lost by 13 points in a high-scoring game. What was your attitude after that game? Because I guess it could go either way. Uh, excitement pushing the top side or, I guess, a, a feeling of frustration. That's two from two that's got away. Yeah, well, well, we're three goals. That was five minutes to play in the third quarter there. we That was a game that we did cough up a little bit. But that was a day I knew, and I think, um, the girls sort of realised that we had something because, as you rightly said, uh, they were always going to be one of the leading teams, the Adelaide Crows, and went on to be obviously premiers again for the second time in three years. And once we knew that we could push them, now it was at home, so that was an advantage for us on that day. And Chelsea Randall didn't play, but Taylor Harris didn't play for us, so it was a sort of an even, uh, even Steven sort of um, matchup there. Uh, I, that was the day I knew that we had something. And I was really, really pleased that we got to that point. I was disappointed to lose the game, clearly, because it was, you know, we're in a winning position. You don't want to cough those opportunities up. But we talked about that after the game um, as, a, as a really pivotal moment for us that we can. Uh, and I think that was one of the challenges that the whole group faced uh, through, the, through the previous year and then uh, the start of uh, AFLW3 was that we were not, they believed that they could. And I think that day we saw and we, we started to believe that we actually could achieve something. Round three came along and, of course, you defeated the GWS Giants by 29 points. So not only was it a win, it was a comfortable win, at least on the scoreboard. When you hit a training track on a Monday or Tuesday after a win like that, do you notice, I guess, a sense of a pressure valve being released and, and maybe the side even relaxing a bit more? Um, not so much relaxing, but there was a different air of relief um, because it had been over a year and since they'd won a game of footy, our girls. And uh, it doesn't matter how close you, you get, until you actually win one, you, you don't ever feel content. Uh, and that's not to mean that you relax and you're content for the whole season, but you just need to get a bit of reward for effort sometimes. And, and that was the day we got the reward for our effort. And we played really well up there in in, um, in uh, Greater Western Sydney and, and deserved that win and deserved to win a comfortably, like you said. We were terrific that day. And I think it was on the back of what we spoke about before, starting to believe that we could uh, the previous week in Adelaide. So that was that was a really important day for us, getting that win, getting our lick of the ice cream, so to speak. Um, and, and there was a, no doubt an air of relief. Uh, absolutely no doubt about that. But pleasingly, there wasn't a relax. Um, we didn't say, OK, we've done that now. We can just, just float about and just go through the rest of the season and come what may. We got, it almost instilled a great desire to, to want more of it. Um, and that was what we were able to do. There was a few uh, bumps as you went through the rest of the season, but you would end up with a winning record to top conference B to get through to the uh, finals. If we take away the finals just for a moment, if we looked at it from the prospect of if it was a normal ladder, you would have finished about fifth position. If yep. someone had asked you at the start of the year, okay, 
you've gone from wooden spoons, you're going to end the year fifth. Would that still have been a satisfactory finish for you? Um, well, interesting question. All I wanted from our girls was to be better. Um, that was that was a very broad brush to to paint with at the start of the season. Um, our goal was to be better. That's what I wanted for them. So what that looked like in terms of ladder position or, or wins and losses, it didn't really bother me, to be honest with you. I just wanted them to be to walk away from another season of footy knowing that they developed, knowing they were better. So fifth is clearly better. Four and three at the end of the home and away, home and away season was clearly better than two and five. But more importantly, there are, I think they played a better brand of footy and, and we've developed a lot of the players to become better players. So that's that's the really important part. So the, the answer to your question is finish fifth would have been, yes, it would have been acceptable, but it was a matter of just being better. And I think as a club, we got better, let alone just the, the players individually or as collective uh, the collective team. Um, there was so much that went right and was good about our program this year that being better was in focus and we and we got there. What was the attitude coming into that uh, preliminary final against the Fremantle Dockers? I mean, not too many of us knew of the injuries that Fremantle were carrying coming into that game. Let's take away, obviously, from your victory. But um, obviously, all the talk was, OK, Fremantle are going to clean out Carlton. They've had a great year, 6-1. and one. They're going to beat Adelaide in the grand final. You were essentially written off before the game was started. Yeah, well, that was that was the, some of the conversation outside. But we knew that we were more than capable of, of defeating Fremantle. Um, and we were aware that they had a couple of warriors that were, were wounded, and that certainly uh, assisted our, our cause, no doubt. But um, we we didn't really worry about them. We were worried about our brand of footy and what we were able to do. And, and that was the most pleasing part, that the girls were able to narrow their focus into into our challenges uh, from, from a team perspective as opposed to a, an opponent's perspective. We were very respectful of Frio's capabilities, and the way they scored through the competition was, was really quite dynamic and difficult to defend for a lot of teams throughout the home and away season. So we knew there was going to be a challenge. Um, but importantly, they believed in our system and were able to to replicate um, all the good stuff that we tried through the year and, and put it together in one almost one perfect day. It was, was, a, was our best performance of the year by a mile. Um, playing at home again was certainly an advantage for us finishing the top of Conference B. That was a, a real advantage. But that was a great day. We didn't really worry about what people were saying um, because in the end, all we can control was playing the game and that's what they did beautifully on the, on the day, the girls. So you get through to the grand final. You take on the Adelaide Crows at Adelaide Oval. Uh, the AFL guesstimate had the crowd at uh, just over 53,000. Yourself, you played in front of some big crowds when you played in the AFL with Hawthorne and then with Carlton. Do you find yourself even in awe walking out onto a ground for to coach a women's game in front of a crowd that big? Oh, it was a, it was a fantastic occasion. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I was I was pretty excited to be a part of it, as as all the players were um, to be part of a grand final week, let alone a grand final day in front of fifty thousand people. It was a great day for for Australian rules footy. Full stop, I reckon. Um, and that venue, I, I love the Adelaide Oval. I think it's just one of the most magical ovals and, and stadiums in in the country. So when that was was really humming with fifty thousand people making a fair bit of noise for the home team, it was a pretty pretty daunting proposition for the for the visiting team. I can tell you that much. But it was a very special day. Yeah. As you said, the visiting uh, the home team uh, and their crowd essentially getting behind them once they really started to get on a roll. As we know, Aaron Feltz is the best on ground. Chloe Shear was having a great performance for them. What do you do when that's in the box? And I guess that feeling's coming over you of. Oh, the crowd's behind them. The momentum's behind Adelaide. What do I do? 
Yeah, it wasn't so much the, the crowd and the momentum. It was the six goals in the second quarter that sort of yeah. got, got me yeah. thinking. Um, oh, look, we, we knew that there was going to be a huge challenge to to try and combat Adelaide uh, and the way they played and some of their star power and the fact that they could score really heavily. And that's that was the reality of our challenge that day. We, we thought if we could get our hands on the footy and, and move it the way we would like to, that we would obviously restrict them from scoring but be able to hit the scoreboard ourselves. And we, outside of the first couple of minutes when we got a free kick, Inside forward fifty, we weren't we weren't able to, to do it. Um, so we had enormous challenges trying to stop them. And once once they did get up and about and started swinging, it was it was difficult to stop. We tried a few things after half time to curtail it and, and change the dynamic a little bit. But um, in, in the end, it was a bit of an arm wrestle in the second half, and the game was was effectively over at half time. So it was it was a disappointing outcome for our girls. But Adelaide deserved to be. The Premiers are the, the most dynamic and, and the most powerful team in the competition throughout the entire season. We would love to have been Premiers, um, but it does give us something to really aspire to uh, for next season. It's a gut-wrenching experience losing a grand final. How did you address it afterwards? Did you sit down with the girls a day or two later and watch the game, or was it a case of out of mind, out of sight, that's done, don't worry about it, we'll see you in a few months and we'll start pre-season and everything's refreshed? Yeah, no, we we had a, a chat obviously after the game in the rooms with the with the family and friends and the, the club hierarchy who've been great support for us throughout the entire campaign, um, and spoke about how disappointed uh, that moment is and how disappointed that moment is, um, but what it can lead to if we if we harness our energies and put it to the right put it to the right use in in the next preseason and the next season, um, but. It was a great, well, like you said before, um, we we measured ourselves on improving, and and that's you know go from the bottom of the ladder to playing in a grand final, then that's improvement. So baby steps sometimes need to be taken. That was more than a baby step. That was a good solid stride as far as I'm concerned. But it's a it's a tough competition. They don't hand out premierships in any level of footy. You've got to earn them. You've got to really work for them and be uh, be the best on that given day. And that takes time and and a process to get through. So that was our challenge. That's what we spoke about. And we had our player reviews throughout that week as well, the individual reviews. We haven't gone through it as a team to review that game as yet. We'll bring it up through the off-season and, and focus on a few things. But once it's done, it's done a little bit um, at a grand final. There's no point harping on too much at that time because you've worked so hard to, to get your energy to the point where you can play in that moment and be in that moment that the last thing you want to do is is fill it with negative emotion, more negative emotion than you need to after a loss. Turn our attention towards the club best and fairest. It was a tie in the end between a player that's going to be part of your future and sadly a player that won't be part of your future. Let's turn to your future first of all. Madison Press-Parkus and her standout debut year, NAB, AFLW, rising star, your club best and fairest and looks like going to be part of Carlton for many years to come. Well, we hope so. Um, Maddie had an outstanding debut season, as you've just highlighted with the, the accolades that she was awarded. Uh, she's a terrific young player. We knew that when we were able to pick her up with um, with the third pick in the draft or the first Victorian Metro pick in the draft. She was clearly the standout, and uh, she was able to live up to that in, in really difficult circumstances, it must be said, because once she'd sort of shown her wares in the first couple of games, she started to get a lot of attention from opposition defenders and, and taggers, but I mean, for a kid who's, who's 18 and, 
and uh, it walks into a level of footy like that to be able to deal with that and still perform like she did was was just beautiful to watch. I must be honest to to see her push through and and fight and still have such an impact for us. I mean, it was fantastic, and and she deserves the rising star as far as I'm concerned, and she deserves to be an equal best and fairest for us as well. And I mean, that's a that's a benchmark now for Maddie. That's the, that's the challenge for her now. That's that's the benchmark of of what she's capable of. So uh, she sets a standard. And uh, now we've got to make sure we help her and assist her in becoming that player every single week and more uh, for the rest of her AFL career. And talking about uh, the kids you've got going forward, of course, we interviewed during the season after her second uh, year in the AFLW, Georgia G, who's uh, improving year on year. And, of course, your father-daughter selection in Abby McKay, who was racking up possessions for Carlton against Casey on the weekend in the VFLW. Yeah, and we're back with those players. Uh, Emerson Woods, Charlotte Wilson, other draftees from last year that um, will be better players again in, in season, their second season of AFLW footy. Abs is a, is a ripper. She's a real footballer. She's like um, Maddie. She, they, they get it. They, they understand the game and the nuances of the game. So she'll be better again next year. Georgia G had some injury concerns through the off-season. We had to manage her pretty delicately, but for her to play the eight games um, is a really positive thing for for us, and, but more importantly for her, it gives her some confidence in her body that she she knows she can get out there and compete week in, week out if we look after her properly. And, and she's a real class act, Georgia G. She's, she's like the ball in her hands more often than not through a game of footy. So, yep, we're, we're managing um, her and, and rap that she's she's a part of our world. She's great friends with Manny Prasparka, so they, they're a bit of a tandem act around the, around the footy club and then social scene as well. So... We're happy for those those friendships to, to build because we don't want either of those two players going anywhere. We want them in Navy. And looking at the cross-coders aspect, um, you must have been uh, thrilled with the debut years for Brooke Walker and Chloe Dalton, switching, of course, from Rugby 7 stars the rules. And they had a huge impact for us, those two girls. It was it was fantastic. And I think the, the biggest bonus for us, is from the AFLW perspective, was their season in the VFLW, they, they honed their craft, they learned the skills, they understood the game a bit more. And once they got to the AFLW, they they had a, a season of footy under their belts. And a lot of these cross cutters don't get that chance, and they come in cold, and it's it's good luck. See how you go. But uh, we're able to give them a bit of an education through the VFLW season, and and they responded beautifully. And Chloe and and Brooke, oh, I couldn't have asked for for that level of performance from them at the start of the year. I just it wouldn't have been fair. But um, to their credit, their elite performance. Um, they committed themselves to the program. They wanted to be better, and they got better really quickly and had a huge impact for us. So, yep, very, very pleased to have them on board and can't wait to see what they've got the next couple of years. When we spoke uh, 12 months ago at the RSN studios, uh, we talked about Bree Davey and at that stage how you were originally as assistant coach at Collingwood trying to be, even though uh, indirectly, part of the plan. They would hope to get uh, Bree Davey over to Collingwood when you were there. Of course, you left Collingwood to take on the Carlton head coaching role. And, of course, you sat down, had a coffee with Bree to get her to stay at Carlton. And uh, you mentioned at the time she just needed a little bit of love and knew that she was loved at the club. Twelve months came around. The best and fairest had just passed. And she announces that she's gone to the buys. How much does that one sting? Oh, it's really disappointing. No doubt. No doubt about that. She's a captain of your club, one of your best players. And... Um coming off a really successful team season and an individual season for her, clearly, as well, with being our equal best and fairest. Um, really disappointing, and um, oh, and we weren't expecting it. Um, she sort of indicated that this is where she wanted to be, and something changed. And, and that's that's footy, and that's the landscape that we, we live in the AFLW at the moment because of expansion and the, the AFL watch player movement. And um, the Magpies were able to come up with a deal to, to satisfy Bree and get her there for a couple of years, which, which is great business by them. 
um, and we we lick our wounds and move on because there's not much else you can do in in a situation like this when you lose one of your players. You've got no control over it. And we'd have loved to have kept her, no doubt. Mm. But she made a call about her future and that's what players have been doing in footy for a long, long time. So disappointed, absolutely, but um, we'll move on pretty quick. Out of that, you got some uh, early picks from the Collingwood Football Club. You picked up their first four picks. How much is that going to assist? And, and what do you think is, from early impressions, the quality of the under-18s and the VFLW talent that's out there that hasn't been signed to the AFLW that you think that you can pick up in the first four picks? Yeah, I think there's. Um, there's I think the top end's really good. Um, and then there's probably a, a real bracket of players through that that next level of, of talent. Um, and I think through the year, um, some of that will emerge into real top-end stuff, and, and that will be good for us uh, with the opportunities we have through the draft. And then there's the opportunities we have through uh, the middle-range picks as part of that trade with, with Collingwood, as, as well as our own picks that we already had, uh, that we'll be able to get access to some mature-age talent and, and find some gems in the VFLW or, or elsewhere. So I'm really looking forward to, to that challenge and that project for the next couple of months to to see what's developing from the young under-18s, uh, the TRC Cup girls or the NAB League girls now, and then trying to find some, really pinpoint some, some roles that we need to play or have played for us through um, some more experienced campaigners through the VFLW season, which is what we did pretty successfully last year with targeting what we needed in terms of those players and, and getting them as part of our program. And we had some really good results from that last year. Um, hopefully we get the same again this year. With Bree gone, that means the captaincy has to be filled. Um, I'm guessing you're taking the approach where it's voted upon by the players. Uh, if you were to look through the current leadership group and some of those that aren't yet in the leadership group, who do you think are, are possible contenders for the captaincy? Well, we've got in our leadership group uh, Darcy Vessio, Katie Loins, uh, Sarah Hosking, Karen Harrington, uh, the remaining members of our leadership group. Um, look, they they are all outstanding um, role models for our for our team, let alone our footy club and the community. I'd I'd be happy to have any one of those in charge of the, the playing group in terms of the captaincy. But as you say, the, the players will make that call uh, down the track. Um, Alison Downey, Nick Stevens have shown great leadership through the year. Um, obviously, Betty Prasparkas is, is a real talent, but she's also a quite a demanding leader as well in her own right. But she's very young, um, so there's I think there's enough quality. People um, in our in our team and in our our roster to to walk into that role uh, at some stage as a captain of the club and and do a hell of a job. But like any captain, you need the support of those around you, and that's what I think we have built in the last twelve months is a really strong group of support for whoever it is ends up with the captaincy of the Carlton Footy Club. And I'm pretty proud of that. You also had leave the uh, general manager of women's football in Nicole Graves. Can you talk about Nicole's influence on the club over the uh, 10 to 11 months that she was there? Yeah, look, Nick did a hell of a job with our program. We we both came in at a similar time um, with a bre- basically a, a brand new footy department and new coaches and new staff. Um, and we had to formulate a plan and, and put it all together. And, and Nick was instrumental in in doing that for us and being able to, to effectively um, run it with Tara Bonello, who's, who is still at the footy club and is just a, a bloody gem she is. Love Tars. Um, she's really important for us now because she's that connection between Nick's reign as, as footy manager and the, and the new uh, general manager's role when that's appointed sooner rather than later, hopefully. So, yeah, Nick, Nick did a great job. She's been a, an icon of women's footy for a long time. Um, her, her ability to 
get stuff done um, was was very impressive. I must admit, she's got far more capabilities than I have in those sort of areas, and I'm glad that she was on my side and I wasn't left to, to do those things because nothing would have ever been done. But, yeah, she, she was really important to set this program up, and I think what she's done is laid really good foundations for us to build upon through the coming years. You've appointed Katie Loint as a recruiting manager now at the club as she plays in her last couple of years of AFLW before making a, a transition to uh, an off-field career. And also with that, a um, bit of Blues Brothers style, I guess, uh, I'm putting the band back together. You're getting Wayne Siegman, the former Magpies coach, to join you and he'll be taking over as list manager. Yeah, well, well Katie, firstly, I, I, I think it's important we talk about her because she is... Um she is such an impressive young woman, Katie, and she'll, she'll say that she's an old woman, but she's only just gone 31 or 2, wherever she is, so she's got plenty left to give to our footy club, let alone the women's footy industry. It's um, it, it's great to be able to invest in her. I think it's really important, and it's, it's incumbent upon us as, a, as an industry through the AFLW, but also the AFLW clubs to develop our people, and, and Katie's got a lot to give in terms of her knowledge of footy and her, her awareness of, of talent. Um, so this elevation to recruiting manager role, I think, is a really positive step for her to become whatever she likes, pretty much within the within the football industry, men's or women. She's a really impressive young woman, and I, I really enjoy spending time with Katie. And she's got a great eye for talent. So this was a natural progression, as far as I was concerned. But really important that we develop our people. And for Wayne O, you love working with Wayne O at the Magpies, and uh, part of his role there was list manager and. NGA coach as well through his time at Collingwood. So he's been in development of, of uh, players for quite some time and and recruitment and list management for a while. So he was doing that at Collingwood. I knew that. And as soon as um, his role at Collingwood ended as a senior coach, the opportunity for him to be a part of our program as list manager was, was an easy one. Just see if he wants to do it and get him in because he's eye for detail. Um, his assessment of list, his, his knowledge of the industry through the underage system, the, the pathway system, as well as the AFLW and VFLW system is is just about unsurpassed, I think. So we, we are wrapped that he's been able to accept that role as our, as our list manager, which we didn't have initially. Well, certainly last year we didn't have a list manager. So he not only fills the role, but fills it with great expertise and, and I'm someone I'm very comfortable working with, so it works on, on just about every front. And finally, for Carlton fans listening, what's your timetable as you head down towards around mid-October when we have the AFLW draft? Uh, well, I'll be watching, overseeing the, the VFLW program, not hands-on day-to-day, but uh, popping in and um, just keeping in contact with Shannon McFerrin, making sure everything's OK and developing the players and the role that we, we feel that we can do that through a VFLW campaign. I'll be heading up to the National Championships um, in the middle of the year to watch the, the Adelaide girls go through their paces against the best of the best. So that'll be good fun up on the Gold Coast. We'll um, be watching plenty of VFLW footy as well and other local leagues to see what we can find uh, and try and mine some diamonds um, to maybe be a part of our program. So there's always something to do. I've got other work that needs to be done through the winter as well with the men's footy and my commentary duties. So there's, there's always plenty happening, but um, it's nice to be involved. Well, Harp, thanks very much for joining us here on your own station, essentially, RSN Carnival <laughs> Digital Radio with Women's Australian Rules Football. We look forward to seeing you back in the coaches box come uh, January next year and, of course, uh, listening to you tomorrow morning from 6am on The Breakfast Club. Good you, Pete. Always nice to chat. Don't go anywhere. We'll have 2018 AFLW League Best and Fairest Emma Carney coming up right after this. 
We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. And joining us on the line here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, it's our pleasure to have on the line the captain of Melbourne University in the VFLW and captain of North Melbourne at AFLW, it's Emma Michelle Carney. Emma, how are you? Very good, Peter. How are you going? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. Uh, we were meant to originally chat with you uh, last Sunday during the Pride match at Main Oval and Melbourne University. Obviously, you're in the luncheon for an extended time with that panel. And uh, safe to say, uh, based on the shock elections results, there was probably a lot to talk about in that luncheon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a little bit. Um, but no, it was a fantastic luncheon and a fantastic day. And you know, having Ro Allen and Paul um, Tanya Hosh there from the NFL, um, you know, they were they're super impressive people. So it was, it was really good to, for them to give their insight into what they do for careers, but um, yeah, also give their opinions as well. Of course, uh, you played in the original uh, Pride game that was held about two years ago out in Hamilton, Victoria. Um, how different was it to have uh, the Pride match back at your home ground of Main Oval Melbourne University? Yeah, well, I mean, we still got a, a really good turnout, both, both in Hamilton and but also at Melbourne Uni. And, um, and like, it was such a great community atmosphere. It reminded me of what women's footy was like um, probably five, six years ago before AFLW sort of existed. And um, it was just really nice to have um, our backer, backer girls playing beforehand. And we had West Brunswick down there as well. And, you know, we... As a spectator, there was um, heaps of people being with their dogs and with their family and friends. Um, so it was a really special day, and, and obviously the weather came along for us, which, which made it even better. Were you actually surprised by the turnout? We were estimating on the day somewhere between four to 500 people. Uh, it's, no, it's, these sort of things are really hard to tell. The fact that um, all the other VFL clubs that played on the Saturday were going to stand on game. Um, plus, we had our graphic skills beforehand. I'm sort of not surprised that um, we did get the turnout that, it, that we did. Obviously, it was aided by by the weather, but um, yeah, also Melbourne Union Garden, you know, two original clubs. So there's heaps of um, old players, um, past players that that wanted to come down to watch, which was really nice. Now, before we come to present day, uh, we've rarely had the opportunity when we've spoken with you pre or post-match during our coverage over the years to actually talk about your history growing up through the game. Can you talk about what it was like actually growing up in Cavendish out in Western Victoria and playing originally junior footy up to the age of 12? Yeah, um, well, I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, so, you know, every opportunity I could, I was outside. In winter, it was always kicking footy with my with my two brothers and my dad or my mum and any family that spent um, in the backyard playing cricket. So, look, I, I love sport. I played a lot of sport growing up. I did Oxford, um all the way through my primary school age. Uh, I played a little bit of school footy as well. Um, never actually played real junior footy as such. Um, and then when I was 12, obviously, um, I couldn't play with the boys any longer. So there was no girls' competition 
for me to say. And so, um, for me, it was, yeah, it was pretty devastating, to be honest, because I love the game. And, but then I just turned my attention to, to other sports that I played predominantly um, basketball and, and hockey growing up and, and obviously cricket in summer. And I guess, for me, those sports are really aided with my um, uh, football um, stuff. So, like, the, a lot of the game sports stuff, um, social awareness, working in tight space, sticking with the basketball side of things has really helped with, um, with me in my football career. Your cricket career is well known with the Stars, but before we get to that, it's actually really talked about uh, you playing the other sports such as basketball and hockey. Can you explain uh, what your talent was like playing those other sports? Uh, yeah, I was probably, I was probably um, just still from back in Hamilton. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was handy, um, but you know, I was, I was never probably going to reach an elite level in those sports. Um, you know, most sports that I try to hand out, uh, I was um, I had the hand up coordination to, to do it quite well. But um, yeah, certainly lucky that footy came along and and um, and cricket, so I was able to play at a high standard. Indeed, uh, you did play a high standard of cricket and that helped get you through your junior years and particularly when you went to uh, university in Ballarat. But I believe it was the time that you actually got to Ballarat, you started looking at taking up footy again? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, since I was in Ballarat, I started playing cricket at Essendon Motorland Park and, and one of the um, girls that I was playing cricket with um, was also playing footy at Melbourne Uni and, and she, um, she actually was the one that sort of come across to play a bit of um, footy. And at the time, I was playing my hockey during the winter. I was playing that on, on Saturdays and I was like, oh, I'm a poor uni student. Pretty hard the cost of playing both sports and, and also my weekends going to be packed. But fair enough, I um I still I jumped across to to play footy, so I'm still on hockey on Saturdays and footy on Sundays. And um yeah, looking back, it was a great decision, and I'm I'm glad that I <coughs> I'm really glad that I did it. In which you signed with the Melbourne University Football Club, starting playing state league football there in 2010. Does it almost shock you now that you look back that you've played just about a decade now with the Muggers? Oh, seriously, the time has absolutely flown by. Um, yeah, never, never in my wildest dreams when I first started playing for Melbourne Uni that I thought that I'd be playing elite level. I was just really playing it because I loved it as a and I always really wanted to play it and it's just a great game socially for me. So, um, yeah, looking back now and, and seeing the characters of the next game and how much it's improved and the professionalism that it displays, um, yeah, it's incredible. And, it, you know, in just that short amount of time, how, you know, we're in the hate those for three years. Imagine what, you know, women's footy is going to be like in a third of ten years when we've had an established um, national competition going on. It's, it's going to be really exciting. What does it mean to you personally? Um, you had the role in the past, but to now get it back to be captain again of Melbourne University. Yeah, it's, um, it's an incredible honour and um, something that I don't um, take lightly. You know, it's, it's really, really nice to have that extra responsibility, and it's something that I really enjoy and something that I really thrive on. So, you know, it's. Um, Despite not being able to play too many games in this um, season, I'm 
definitely looking to help those girls where I can, both on and off the field, um, you know, at, at training and, and lifting the standards and, and making sure that girls are really enjoying the environment that they're, they're in and, and that they're really thriving in it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge honour and, and something that, um, yeah, I'm really, really proud of. I want to focus on your cricket career for a moment. Uh, I remember an article, I think it was about 2016, just before the AFLW came along, and I was thinking at the time that you signed as a priority signing with the Western Bulldogs, was in the age where you said, if you had to choose between the two at that stage, uh, you said your love was for cricket. However, about two years later in an article with the Women's Game website, um, you mentioned how you were hoping days would be washed out and you fell out of love with the game. Can you explain what that turnaround and feelings, uh, how that came about? Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, yeah, cricket's one of those games where it's a love-hate relationship. It, it can be really brutal at times. Um, and when you're, when you're playing well and you're in form, um, you love it. And, and when, you're, when you're, not, you're not doing so well, it's, it can be quite challenging. So I think for me, um, yeah, I, I always loved it when... It was the only sport that I was playing at the highest level because I could put a lot of my energy and attention into it. And look, I'm not a natural cricketer. I had to really try hard and, and work hard on my game to, to be the best I could possibly be. And I think I think at um, the stage when I was doing so, that was a real challenge for me. Um, I, I was totally exhausted because I was in the middle of pre-season for, for the Western Bulldogs but then I was also in the middle of a season for, for the Melbourne Stars. So I didn't have a lot of time to spend with my, my family and friends. I didn't have enough time. I was also working full-time as well, so I didn't have a lot of time to get to training early to work on my skills in my cricket, which I, I probably needed to do. Um, and therefore, my um, I guess my form declined quite rapidly and, and yeah, I started to, to not enjoy it as much. Um, I mean, in saying that, like I still have really great friends that I've made through cricket, and you know, I'm really thankful for that. But I think it just came a point in my time in in my life where I, I had to decide whether I'd keep doing both and and eventually burn out mentally and physically, or or give one away and put more energy into into a, my preferred sport, which was footy in the end. Can you talk about going through that first summer without playing cricket and solely focusing on football? For you, was it a relief? Was it a chance to relax? Or were you a bit of a restless person? You found that maybe you had a little bit too much extra time on your hands. Yeah, well, yeah, I am a very restless person. I like to be busy all the time. Um, I often, kind of my family and friends often say, like, you need to relax. And it, it turns out I can't really relax that well. So, um, look, I actually, I did enjoy not playing over the summer because it did give me some, a chance to spend a lot more time with my family, friends, and particularly over the Christmas period, um, kicked off just right in the middle of summer. We had to travel every Christmas day because we always played on Sunday. So that was really hard um, for me because I'm really close with my family. So, um, yeah, it just, it just gave me a lot more time to do other stuff like go to the beach. I mean, I was still really busy, which I love doing, but I was just in a different way and it gave me a chance to just, um, I guess, freshen up mentally more than anything. 
Let's talk about the 2017, uh, pardon me, 2018 AFLW season. Obviously a year which you won the flag with the Bulldogs and the best and fairest. But coming into that premiership, uh, you probably knew around that time that your heart was set that you wanted to go to North Melbourne. Were you able to enjoy the premiership as much? Was there possibly a slight distraction in the back of your mind? Uh, yeah, look, I, I enjoyed it, but it, it, it did come with some sadness. Um, you know, when we, when we won the grand final, I knew that that was going to be my last game with the, with the Bulldogs. So, and last time I, I got to play with, you know, a great group of girls. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was sad. There was a few of my teammates that knew that I was leaving. So, um, yeah, that was a little bit sad as well. Maybe, maybe a couple were a bit happy about it. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely sad. But, you know, it's a dream come true to win a, a premiership like that. Like ever since I was a young person, I, I've always wanted to to win a premiership at the highest level, and I was able to do that. So, yeah, although it was quite sad, it was also you know a dream come true. Now you're one of only two women so far to win the AFLW league best and fairest because obviously Erin Phillips has won the other two. Um, two questions on that. Uh, the first one is we've always seen you as an outstanding footballer at state league level and never got the top honour because we said you were just unlucky that you were playing in an era where you've got the likes of Daisy Pierce and Katie Brennan, for example, that were playing. What did it mean for you personally to be to win that medal at the national level? Um, oh, winning those things, it's an incredible honour. Um, you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to win those types of awards though if it wasn't for um, the team that you were playing in. I mean, you look at Aaron Phillips. Everyone that for the last three years, the person that's won the MVP, their team's also won the grand final. So, you know, although it's although it's personally um, a, a great honour, but it's also a reflective of of how your team's performing as well. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to play with some outstanding players that really helped me. Um, I mean, Ali Blackburn, for example, I mean, I, I love playing with Ali and I played a lot of footy with her at Melbourne Uni. So, someone like her, she, you know, sometimes took the more defensive role where I was able to um, play a little bit more freer. So, you know, um, in saying that, though, it's, it's really nice to um, be awarded something um, in individual in a team environment. So, um yeah, it's something that I've, I reflect, I probably will reflect more on post-career. And, but at the moment, it's, it's more about trying to focus on trying to get better. I'm super competitive, as you probably know. Um, so, yeah, I'm always trying to trying to better myself um, each year and um, I'll continue to do that. And on the actual best and fairest award win and and after that, um, you, you were obviously known within the women's sports circles because of how you excelled in cricket and excelled in footy. But did life change for you much after winning that best and fairest where you found that you were noticed more in the street? Did more speaking opportunities and promotional opportunities come your way? Uh, yeah, you do get a few more um, speaking opportunities. Um, I, I, I get noticed a couple of times, but not, not too often. I think I think my um, wearing my glasses off field uh, probably helps a little bit. But um, yeah, I look, nothing nothing really changed for me. I'm I'm not that type of person that really gets carried away with that sort of thing. I like to just be in my own little little world away from um, all the attention and, and just go about my business. Uh, I'm pretty 
pretty shy type of person, um, although that might surprise a few opponents that I play against. But, um, yeah, I just sort of like to just do my own thing and, and enjoy my life that way. But, yeah, nothing's, nothing's really changed for me too much. So almost the um, uh, Supergirl-like with uh, Cara Danvers during the day wearing the glasses and not recognised and then yeah, champion right. football out in the field. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that, I guess you could say. Um, you were just mentioning before about Ali Blackburn. Of course, you made the decision to make the move from the Bulldogs to North Melbourne. How did you find adjusting to a new midfield at North Melbourne after spending so many years at the Bulldogs and at Melbourne Uni with virtually having hip-to-hip by your side, Ali Blackburn, with you in the midfield? Yeah, it was, um, it was probably a bit of a challenge um, initially just because, you know, I pick up the ball and I know that Ali's going to be there so I can just handle it without sort of looking and, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, it was just trying to establish relationships really quickly with, with the likes of a, of a Janet Bruton, um, Ash Riddell, um, Jamie Stanton, and, and try to get used to their style of play and then try to work within within that, how they play. Um, I mean, Janet, Janet Bruton's highly underrated player. Um, so, you know, getting to play with someone like her, I, I was super fortunate um, because, again, she's a super smart player herself. So, um, yeah, it, it probably just took a little bit of time. We're probably still not... 100% sell, but I mean, we'll definitely utilise this fair um season and then look to, you know, keep improving in the in the pre-season leading into AFLW season. And how's it been like taking over the captaincy of North Melbourne at the AFLW level, considering it is a new team? So, albeit you've had Melbourne Uni staff in the background, does it feel like everything's had to start from scratch and almost like you've had to set the benchmark for both on-field and off-field performance? Yeah, when you when any any new team that you establish, you've got to try to create a really good environment where the girls are feeling welcomed and they feel valued. So um, that was probably the first part that we needed to do quite to establish first, but also then trying to build relationships with all the new players. Um, you know, there was a lot of girls that I've never even met before, um, let alone played with. So yeah, it, it was about trying to do that. Um, we also had our own challenges with. Um, a third of our group being based down in, in Tasmania um, permanently. So, you know, we didn't get a lot of contact hours with them. So when we did um, have them come up or we went down there, just making sure that we um, we were really trying to get that connections and, and uh, rapport with those players too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really helped that North Melbourne had that already existing relationships with Melbourne Uni. So they, they knew what it took to, to be at a high level in the women's game. And um, certainly the, the men's team, we got a lot of support from the men's leadership group in terms of um, what does it mean to be a Kangaroos player and, and that Shinbrona spirit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's still developing. Cult, cultures take a lot to, a lot to sort of develop and, and grow. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the next couple of years, we just keep building on, on our list and, on, and that culture. For the Muggers, you've had a very good start to the VFLW season. Two and zip with comfortable victories over Geelong and the Darabin Falcons. Um, from your point of view and what you've seen so far, particularly for the VFLW listed players that are trying to make their way to national level, who's impressed you early? Uh, um, someone like a, a Katie Angelus. 
um, has been really impressive for us. But she showed glimpses last year, but she's, she's listed her fitness level. She's got really good goal sense and, and game awareness um, as, a, as a small forward and she's got actually really good hands as well. So someone like her, is, um, yeah, she's she's been really impressive for us. Well, that's good to hear, and we'll obviously be keeping an eye on her this Saturday when uh, the Muggers take on the Western Bulldogs at Witten Oval, 4.30pm bounce down. For yourself, Emma, and for fans listening, uh, I believe you had some uh, surgery post-season. Um, how are you looking at the moment? What's your timetable looking like uh, to come back to play State League football? Yeah, it's, it's um, a slow process at this stage. Um, obviously, my knee's coming along pretty well post-surgery, so I'm um, looking hopefully... July, um, sometime in July. We're not sure yet, but yeah, it's um, yeah. We just want to try to get the knee one hundred percent right before I get back out there. But I'm obviously looking forward to playing. It's going to be really exciting. Well, Emma, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best as you uh, come back from that injury, and we look forward to seeing you back out there running around for the Muggers come July. No worries. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, let's jump into our State League's wrap now. Our Sydney uh, women's reporter, Lauren Hodgson, was unable to join us this week. So let's have a quick run-through of the AFL Sydney women's Premier Division results from round six. The UTS Bats 4-1-25 went down to the East Coast Eagles 7-8-50. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 8-6-54 defeated the Newtown Breakaways 5-6-36. Southern Power 1-6 went down to Macquarie University 8-14-62. While the Sydney Uni Bombers 6-11-47 defeated the Inner West Mag- Pies 1-2-8. Looking ahead to round seven football this Saturday, 25th of May, 11.50am at Mahoney Park. Newtown Breakaways play host to the East Coast Eagles. 2.10pm Saturday at Waratah Oval. Southern Power play host to the UTS Bats. 2.50pm Saturday at Henson Park. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs play host to the Inner West Magpies. And at 5.50pm on Saturday at Sydney Uni Oval number one, Macquarie University takes on the Sydney Uni Bombers. Across to the UNSW W Canberra first grade women's competition. They had the bye on the weekend, so we look ahead to round five this week, where Belconnen play host to Gungarland Jets at 3.45pm on Saturday. At the same time, the Ainsley Tricolors play host the Quimbian Tigers, while at 4.20pm on Saturday, Greenway Oval, Tuggeranong Hawks versus the Eastlake Demons. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. Our reporter from Adelaide is back just after getting married a week or so ago. It's great to have on the line for the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I am fantastic. Um, Yes, very pleased, very happy and uh, glad to be back all at the same time. I don't hear any wedding bells in the background, but I'm guessing that's a. <laughs> I'm guessing it's more a case of you need the quiet. You might be still a little bit hungover from the celebrations. Yeah, yeah. You don't ask too many questions, and we'll all be fine, Peter. We'll all be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to focusing on football. And uh, the yeah. preliminary final was played on the weekend for the Sandfall Women's. Uh, South Adelaide, of course, won their major semi, went straight through to the grand final to defend their title. It was going to come down between Norwood and North Adelaide, and it ended up being a two-point thriller. Oh, my goodness. For all the high-scoring games these two teams have both recently played, the scorelines do not reflect the talent or their skill level. Um, as said, the score there, Norwood 110-16 to 2-6-18, and the Roosters getting up there by two points. And I've been saying it for a little while now, but 
for the red legs, bag kicking is bad football, and they've been smacking those points through. Um, but, oh, my gravy, I didn't expect a result like this. And I'll be honest, as the siren sounded, Monique Hollick was launching it into Norwood's forward 50, but it was all too late. And the Roosters were denied premiership success in 2017, and they were bundled out in last year's prelim, both by Norwood. So I'm pretty sure that the Roosters have exacted their revenge perfectly. And that's actually now eight in a row for the Cockahoot Roosters. Matt Slade's charges held and fought all the way to earn their spot in the GF, despite losing many key stats, including the inside 50 count of 35 to 18, if you don't mind. Norwood were without their superstar player this year, Najwa Allen, due to a knee injury, um, and it showed. Now, just quickly running through the disposals there for North, for the top getters there, Ward on 23, Galio and Reynolds on 14, Greek 13, Tynan on 11, Collie Daniel, Eichner and Bomberto on 10. For Norwood, Dunn, ultra-consistent all year, still consistent again on 26, Sally Riley on 22, Meyer on 19, Reed 18, Hollick 17, Armistead 16 and Cutting on 15. The goals there, well, Kelly Baltrop, the champion herself, slotting one of North and also Paige Allen. For Norwood, it was Matilda Zander. But I suppose the main reason you want to talk today, Peter, is what's coming up this Sunday. Indeed. The grand final, Sunday, 4pm, at ACH Group Stadium, Brighton Road, Glenelg. The reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers versus the North Adelaide Roosters. It's civil war, North versus South. <laughs> it is. The North and South are going to collide head on here. Will it be back-to-back for South, who Chrissy Steen in the first year, Rick Watts has done so fantastically well with them in their second year? Or will Matt Slade and the Roosters make up for the last two years lament and heartache? Both clubs have had great form, had great talent, and a great desire to take home the big prize. They've been ultra-consistent, playing great team footy as well. Neutral ground, so you can take that off the checklist. For me, North need to shut down South slick ball movement, so pressure and perceived pressure pressure on the ball carrier will be queen. But they have to, but they have been up to the task. An extra week off for the Panthers should allow them to go in as favourites, though. North had the league's leading goal kicker in Kelly Boltrop, who has 26 goals to her name and is ultra-hard to stop, but that is exactly what South are going to have to do. So the players, I think they need to watch and stop the South. One of my favourites I've mentioned here, Charlton's been brilliant all year, the Powerade Breakthrough player nominee. Goals, tackles, handballs, you name it, she's in on it. And Susanna Kavoris has been in absolutely everything for South. And for the Roosters, Nadia Von Berto, Kelly Baltrop, as mentioned before, Leah Tynan and Kat Reynolds will hold the keys to forming their destiny. I call the ruck duel um, reasonably equal between Oshwaga and McKinnon. Um, I'm probably going to get some splinters here for this one, Peter, because if it's a tight and tough stoush, I reckon North can keep their two-point winning average for the last two games and do it again and upset the Panthers. But if it turns out to be a shootout, I think with South spread of goal kickers across the team, um, they will get over the line. So... Let's declare it south or north. Oh, splinters. I said this is the close one, north. And if it's a shootout south, I mean, south should go favourite, ah. but I really like the way north have been going about it. Ah. So I've got, I've got allegiances to both sides here, so this is really splitting it for me at the moment, Peter. Um, I could see north doing an upset, 
yes, but I'm not going to be sad if South go back to back. Is that more splinters? How am I going? I'll lean to say you've tipped north. I'll lean to yeah, say okay. you've tipped north. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll, I'll put them out there. I'll, I'll go um, north. So North Adelaide to win the Sanford Women's Grand Final, according to <laughs> Alison Schiller of the Two Crows podcast. And again, Ali, before we let you go, where can people find the Two Crows podcast? Well, coincidentally, it's at Two Crows podcast on Twitter, but we're also out on Podbean, uh, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. We're getting up and about with it. Well, thank you very much again, Ellie, for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week for your review of the grand final of the Sandfall Women's Competition. Excellent. Really looking forward to this game. Should be a cracker. Get down there, people. Don't go anywhere. We've got more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up after this. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at leaguetees.com.au Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio to review another round of QAFLW football. We've got on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good to see round six go by. Some interesting results coming out of it. Uh, first of all, the Bull Sharks, Bond University, 9-16-70, defeating Cullingatta Tweed, 5-2-32. Yeah, another good result, I suppose, for the for the Bull Sharks to enter um, the bye week um, this week in probably the best form of the competition. You know, they sit uh, one game clear on top of the ladder now after the win on the weekend. And I suppose their win against Coolangatta and the Gold Coast Derby, it really came on the back of um, just being able to control the play, getting the ball in their hands and, you know, in doing so, restricted um, and uh potency, I suppose, to get their hands on the footy. So Bond University really do like to play kind of a kit mark style of football. And we saw that on the weekend. And um, even though, you know, they did kick nine goals, 16 um, on the scoreboard, which is a second lowest uh, shot accuracy of any side on the weekend. You know, obviously when you have that many opportunities to score, you're still going to get a few goals. And that's what they did and ran away with a good win. Colinda Howworth kicking three goals there for Bond University. And once again, Laura Attard uh, named amongst the best players for the Bull Sharks, um, strengthening her case for the AFLW draft to be taken by the Lions or the Suns. Yeah, it, you're exactly right. And I think for both of them, um, Colinda and, and Laura, um, having that experience already on an AFLW list and then uh, going back to a, to a state league competition and really proving their worth, especially with the Suns coming in this year there. They are really making a good case, uh, both of them, to to get noticed by the by the list managers and those the people in those areas at both clubs. And hopefully that, that form can continue and we can see one of them or both of them on the Suns or Lions list again uh, this coming AFLW season. A big scalp for Maruchidor, 5-10-40, defeating Yoronga South Brisbane, 2-3-15. Yeah, it, it really was a... A, a big scalp, as you said, and it, it's great to see Mitchell just go from stride to stride this year, especially after the tough one-win season they had in 2018. And 
I think the win against Yoronga really came on the back of uh, kind of a fast midfield, but also um, just a stout defence um, in the back half of the ground for them. And um, guys like Charlie Randall, who's obviously come back up after the AFLW season, she's kind of just patrolled that centre-half back row. Um, actually, Hale was the, the vice-captain there. Um, she's been really good. She, she was one of the inclusions for this game. And then moving forward, obviously, girls like Shannon Campbell, um, who's playing forward this year for Merchador. She's really, she just presents a, a really good leading option for them every time and probably someone dependable inside 50 that they can just rely upon. And then obviously the midfield girls like Kate Sermon is in her third season now, uh, I think, with the Roos. And she's probably one of the toughest players in the competition. And then obviously the young girls, uh, Lily Postle's right, played another good game. And, you know, they're into second spot now. And I think they'd be loving life up there on the Sun Coast. The standouts for the uh, Yoronga South Brisbane side in that match coming from their experienced campaigners, Jade Ransfield, Emily Bates and Jordan Zanchetta. Yeah, see, the midfield um, obviously got beaten by Marichal, but those names that you mentioned, two of the midfielders, uh, obviously have enough talent um, and could play quite well for them. And obviously Ransfield inside 50 kicked both of uh, Yoronga's goals. And she really did provide a solid option uh, from the limited opportunities that they did get moving inside 50. So Ransfield, probably another name that um, should be hoping to, to kind of compile another solid season, having been on the Lions AFLW list for uh, season one a few years ago. And, you know, she's, she's in really good form this year, I think, under the new coach. So it'll be interesting to see what she does for the remainder of the season. Bit of pain for the Hornets on the weekend, only scoring the two behind as Kuparu ran rampant, 19-10-124. Yeah, like you said, obviously uh, another probably tough pill to swallow for Astley, who are kind of still finding their their footing in the competition having moved up. But I think the, the win probably says more about Kuparu, who really needed to win this game, I feel, especially after dropping the game against Astley in round one of the season. But... I think many people um, kind of expected Cooperu to, to do really well uh, this season. And if it's through injury or form or selection um, unavailability, they really haven't delivered that throughout the opening uh, five rounds of the, the season. So to produce a result like they did on the weekend, obviously uh, benefiting from the inclusion of a lot of their state players and um, AFLW personnel, you know, they really uh, kind of reignited their season almost, and um, I think they'll be in good stead for the, you know, from the run on from here after the bye. Seven goals for Jesse Wardlord, three for Tory Groves, Little, and uh, Jess Wuchner. Two goals for the best on ground performance. Yeah, it was a well. Obviously, when you score 124 points, your forwards are, are going to have some good opportunities to to score. And something that Wardlord does really well is. A bit like Campbell that I mentioned uh, just previously. She presents at the footy all the time. I know Craig Stasevich um, always talks up her netball background and that she always leads towards the footy, whereas you know we know some forwards like to get those ones out the back. It's always at the footy with Wardlaw. And I think that, that seven goals to her name is, is kind of a reward for her effort in the game. And then uh, Jess Wooshen obviously bobbing up with the two goals. She's playing a bit higher this year. And same with uh, Groves Little, who plays kind of half forward and a wing for Cooper um, obviously, they, they got there, got to move forward and, and hit the scoreboard as well, which is, you know, gives them a bit of confidence, especially after a kind of a tough opening month for the team to start the season. And in the final match of the round, the UQ Red Lions 11 4 defeated the reigning premiers, the Wilson Grange Gorillas 6 3 
Yeah, a, a good result for UQ. I think both teams, they're, they're probably the most polarising teams uh, heading into the contest, just given, you know, they'd produce a mammoth win one week and then you so know, seemingly lose a, a game you'd probably expect them to win. But obviously UQ, they kind of answered a few questions, I suppose, that people might have had um, earlier in the season and, um, you yeah, know, a good result for them. Um a bit like Cooper in the sense that um, Wilson Grange beat them in round one. UQ kind of um, overturned that result this weekend. But the win was really um, kind of crafted um, from the from the midfield from UQ. Um, obviously, they have some, some really good names in there. Bree Cone and Nat Grider both were superb for them. Nat Exxon playing a bit more forward than in uh, midfield that she plays. Um, with the Lions at AFLW level and obviously now the Saints. But, um, yeah, a, a good result for UQ. I think um, a tough opening quarter. Um, and it was in that second where they really kind of found a, you know, their, their groove and ran away, kicked four goals to, to none in, in the second term and that kind of set up the win. Yeah, the surprise, as you said, Nat Exxon playing forward, kicking three goals on that occasion uh, for uh, UQ. And uh, Brie Conan named amongst the best players. Yeah, that's right. I think Nat Exxon and, and Megan Hunt, who actually leads the, the competition goalkeeping at this stage, they've, they've moved a bit more forward of centre um, to start this season. I don't know if that's um, coming from AFLW coaches or whatnot, but it seems to be paying off so far. And obviously, Brie Conan, she can kind of play anywhere on the field, but I definitely think her best work is in the midfield, and that's really where she's dominating for the red lines at this stage of the year. Now, as you mentioned, there's going to be a bye this round. Uh, all QAFLW teams having the weekend off. Um, and that's because our attention turns to Metricon Stadium, game one of the Winter Series. Yeah, obviously the, the QW Winter Series starts up this weekend. And I think it's a good opportunity to, for, for both teams, to, especially the Suns who are still building their list, obviously, to, to get a look at some of the state league uh, players, see how they kind of fit into the system of an AFLW team and um, really for the players to vying for a spot on the list to, to put their name forward. It's not just, you know, under 18 state league players, but there's a, a heap of uh, QAFLW players that have been included um, in the team. Girls like Sally Young from Cooparoo, who's, you know, played uh, over 80 games for the Kings and missed out on, you know, a spot on the Lions list um, in the first couple of years. But, um you know, she'll, she's been named in the Sun squad. Um, Holly Murfield from Cool and Gather obviously played for the Suns last year and named again this year. So it really is a good opportunity for, for girls at QAFLW level to, to really mount a case for uh, selection at AFLW draft later in the year. Well, and thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. And we look forward to catching up with you next week to preview round seven of the QAFLW. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay, turning our attention to the West Australian Football League women's competition. Round three played over the weekend. East Fremantle, 10-8-68, defeating Swan Districts, 1-1-7. Claremont, 5-5-35, got over Peel Thunder in a close one, 5-2-32. Looking ahead to round four action, both games this Saturday, 25th of May. Claremont versus Subiaco, 9-25 in the morning. Claremont Oval kicking the dew off the grass. And at 12.15pm, it's still Blue Oval, Swan Districts, 
versus Peel Thunder. Across this Tasmanian State League women's competition, round four played over the weekend. North Launceston, 11-10-76, defeating the Tigers, 2-3-15. Clarence, 2-3-15, were defeated by Launceston, 8-9-57. While Lauderdale, one straight six, went down to Glenorchy, 25-11-161. Looking ahead to round five, all games being played on Sunday, May 26th. 12pm at Windsor Park, Launceston play host to the Tigers. 12.30pm at KGV, Glen Orkey versus the North Launceston Football Club. And at 12.30pm at Lauderdale Sports Ground, it's Lauderdale versus Clarence. Now it's time on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio to review round two of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And joining us on the line, our league caller here at RSN Carnival, it is Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Yeah, good, Pete. Recovered from a big Saturday of uh, women's footy on RSN Carnival 2 where we covered three games. Uh, we were involved in two of them. And then thanks to our buddies at GoFooty.live, we were able to get the Geelong Essendon game on replay and it was a, a big day of football, some interesting results, and then, uh, of course, the Pride game on the weekend, which uh, is always a great occasion. We saw that the Casey Demons struggled last year. They're flying out of the blocks in season number, what is it, four now, the VFL Women's, um, their second season in the competition. Uh, 7-8-50 defeating Carlton, 2-7-19 on Saturday morning. Yeah, this was a, an interesting game. It was fairly even until up uh, half-time. In fact, Carlton were in front early in both the first quarter and second quarter. So it was a, a tight contest early, but then breaking away in the third term, uh, Casey Demons piled on three goals, one uh, to just two behinds from Carlton, and that really set them up to record a big victory. Um and it, as I said, an interesting result for the KC Demons, given they were coming off a fairly tight contest against the Bombers. Of course, this was Carlton's first game uh, for the season after having the bye in round one. And fairly inaccurate on the scoreboard, too. Must be added to the Blues, kicking seven behinds. Their two goal kickers on the weekend, Bromington Leighton, whilst for the KC Demons, Matty Guerin kicked two. Clayton Oates, Smith, Patterson and Winbanks were the other goal kickers on the weekend. Leading possession getters on the ground. Nat Klain racked up 22 disposals on the weekend for the Blues, while Sarah Lampard was the best for the Casey Demons with 20 touches. 14 kicks at two handballs. Sorry, 14 and six handballs. The Geelong Cats 7-2-44 hung on against Essendon 5-9-39. Yeah, encouraging early season form from the, the Bombers. They've run two opponents now fairly close. They'll be disappointed they didn't get over the line on the weekend. But as I said, it's encouraging to see them uh, much more competitive than what they were uh, throughout the 2018 season. The Cats bouncing back after a poor result against Melbourne Uni in the opening game of the season. This game was played at Central Reserve in Colac, so a, a little bit of a travel as well. Uh, Kate Darby was the leading goal kicker on the ground with Paul Benham, Blakeway and Ivy, the other goal kickers, whilst Maureen kicked two goals for the Bombers. I'm um, apologising if I don't get this quite correct for the next goal kicker for the Bombers, Kieran Um that I've absolutely butchered that, so my apologies to her. And Stepnell was the other goal kicker for the Bombers. Curious to see in this game, the Cats had 107 handballs for 67 uh, the Bombers better by foot, uh, 132 kicks to 112. 
Marks fairly even. Tackles applied by the Bombers were greater, 80 to 59. They have key stats from the weekend's game between Geelong and Essendon. That probably explains just then those tackles versus Geelong's handballs, probably indicating the pressure that Essendon were creating on the Cats. Let's have a look ahead to the game between Collingwood and Hawthorne. The Pies, very disappointing in game one against the Southern Saints, answered back against the reigning Premiers, 8 6 54 to 4 2 26. Yeah, I think I nearly fell off the chair when uh, we were discussing this result on Saturday night. Completely unexpected from Collingwood after being essentially torn apart in the opening round. We know they had uh, eight debutants and have struggled with injuries during the off-season for their VFLW list. Um, but completely smacking Hawthorne, who also struggled against the Northern Territory Thunder in round one, was a fantastic result for the Pies, as you said, 8 6 the 4 to 26 Goal kickers on the weekend. Lambert kicked two. Allen, Curley, Lynch, Nash, Newton, Shevlin. Great to see so many goal kickers on the list there. Seven goal kickers for the Pies. It was an area of concern, not only scoring, but actually getting the ball forward. And it appears that at least on the weekend, they were able to solve that issue. For the Hawks, Gilder kicked three. Pereira uh, also got a goal on the weekend. They are missing some of their star players, the Hawks. So, again, I wouldn't read too much into the result. But if they continue to get losses once those players come back into the side, then I'd be getting a little worried. Can Michaela Can was one of the best on the weekend for Collingwood. Of course, playing her old side, racking up 20 touches on the weekend. Meg Hutchins standing tall for the Hawks. Also racking up 20 touches, 10 kicks, 10 handballs and 5 marks. And just briefly touching on a game that was on at the same time was the VFLW Invitational match. Uh, the GWS Giants 6743 uh, defeating uh, Richmond 2-3-15. But some injury concerns out of that match. Yeah, Lucia Eva and Tate Mackerel came from the game late in the third quarter, both with lower league injuries. Haven't heard uh, as yet whether... Uh, they'll be facing long stints on the sideline, but the way that both of them came from the ground and then left the ground at the conclusion of the game with support from their teammates uh, suggests that they could be in for a stint on the sidelines. We hope that it's not uh, the cursed ACL injury, um, but again, just with the way that it, that at least Tate Mackerel was uh, walking, uh, it didn't look too good. It looked more to be an ankle issue for Alicia Eva, but again, that's... Uh, Not a professional uh, doctor's uh, word there. It's uh, just what we were looking at on the weekend. So we wait to hear the results of those. And for the Giants, it's two wins now. They've restricted their opposition to two goals in each game. Um, Thought Richmond did fairly well in the opening quarter. They had some standouts that uh, kept uh, the ball moving and were uh, ferocious with their attack on the ball, but died away in the second and third quarters, which allowed GWS to break free and record victory. And uh, just checking from the GWS website through their report of the game, Privitelli, of course, three goals, goals to Hicks, Schmidt and McGartland. Uh, they make no mention of the injury. So it uh, looks like they're trying to keep that one very, very under wraps for the injuries to Eva and Mackerel, uh, respectively. Uh, turning our attention back towards the game's premiership points up in Darwin, the NT Thunder, 7-4-46, defeated the Southern Saints, 4 8 yeah, it wasn't until the third quarter that the Northern Territory Thunder were able to break free. It was a, a seashoring affair up until half time with both sides spending time in front that the Thunder able to power away, no doubt, 
uh, a little more match fit given they're coming off their local season up there um, and also a, a little more acclimatised than what the Southern Saints would be. They'll be disappointed though because uh, they did kick eight behind the Southern Saints so if they had been a little more accurate they would have been right in this game. Having said that, it wasn't too great of a margin, only 14 points at the end of the match but uh, still a good victory for the Thunder, their second on the trot. Ponta kicked two, Rosenwick kicked two, Ed Considine and Hickey, the other goal kickers on the weekend for the Northern Territory Thunder. Bahana, Greiser, Jollis and Vokes were the goal kickers again standing tall up forward for the Southern Saints. Drennan was the leading possession getter on the ground with 28 touches on the weekend, 12 kicks, 16 handballs, also laid six tackles, as did the top possession getter for the Northern Territory Thunder, Ebony Marinoff, uh, racking up 23 touches, 14 kicks, nine handballs, Six tackles on the weekend. Saturday night football, Weemstown 139 were defeated by the Western Bulldogs 8856. Yeah, encouraging signs from the Seagulls, as we discussed on air on the weekend. They are an incredibly young t- side and they've got a long term strategy at the club, so it is going to be a, a little bit short term pain, long term gain for them. But I thought their first half on the weekend was really well. They held the Western Bulldogs who didn't make the most of their opportunities going forward Um, so it meant that the game was tight they were able to apply pressure, they got the ball forward especially in the second quarter fortunately for them the Bulldogs were able to get on top their superior talent coming to the fore uh, during the third and final terms which meant that the margin uh, ballooned out a bit. McCarley Award, gee she was impressive, kicked four goals on the weekend just uh, trying to find where she is on the stats. Only ended up with the nine disposals, but gee, she was uh, she was threatening around the ground. The other goal kickers for the Western Bulldogs on the weekend, Denny Marshall, uh, kicked two goals in her debut, of course, from the Arizona Hawks and making an impression here in Melbourne, uh, coming off the Aberfeldy list and uh, straight into this Bulldog side. She was dominant around the ground when she was thrown in the ruck. Uh, great decision maker, um, and really excited to see how she can grow and develop as a footballer, especially if she continues playing for the Bulldogs in their VFLW program. Jolly and Sandrill kicked goals on the weekend as well for the Western Bulldogs, while the only goal kicker for the Seagulls was Whiting with one. She was also the leading disposal getter for Williamstown on the weekend with 12 touches, 10 kicks, two handballs. The leading possession getter on the ground came from the Western Bulldogs. Bonnie Toogood racked up 24 touches, uh, 17 kicks, 7 handballs, 6 marks and 3 tackles and she was pivotal in defensive 50 for the Bulldogs and also pushing higher up the ground uh, which was great to see from her. I have a look at uh, Danny Marshall, the American, which we raved about on Saturday night, uh, recruited out of the Arizona Hawks and I've got a feeling the Bulldogs are trying to keep the hype under wrap. They mentioned no uh, mentions of her in their report on the Bulldogs website. Did not mention her in the best but two goals... One behind, eight kicks, uh, two marks, four handballs, two tackles, and 14 hitouts on debut. I reckon that's pretty yeah. damn good. And not only that, the composure that she seemed to have with her decision-making, the ruck work, was incredible. For someone that's thrown straight into state league-level football, I don't see. I don't think I've seen anyone... Uh, go into the ruck and perform like that. An undersized ruck at that. Yeah, correct. Um, and up against talent that's been playing football for a lot longer than she has. Um, so, yeah, incredibly exciting to see. And 
whilst uh, they're trying to keep her under wraps, she doesn't get away from under our noses here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. She is going to be one to watch, and I wouldn't be surprised if potentially she returns to Melbourne during the summer months next year. Let's have a look at the final game of round two. It was Melbourne University versus Darabin in the Pride match. The Muggers 11-8-74, defeating Darabin 6-2-38. A sluggish match that turned out to be a shootout in the final quarter. Yeah, dominated largely by Melbourne University. As you said, uh, Darabin uh, tried to peg it back in the final term, but unfortunately were unable to. 56% of possession was in control of Melbourne University on the weekend. They had uh, 162 kicks compared to the 125 from the Darabin Falcons, 47 marks to 34, 76 tackles to 50. These are all in favour of Melbourne University. The only real swing uh, were the hitouts, which went the way of the Darabin Falcons, 34 15. But apart from that, Melbourne University dominant all over the park. They've started the season really strong. And I think it's vindication almost for uh, Scott Gowans, not only coaching the AFLW program at North Melbourne, but continuing to hold the reins for their VFLW program, even though it's uh, branded as Melbourne University. Angelus kicked two goals on the weekend. Garner impressed again with two goals. Price kicked two. Gillespie Jones, Grierson, Riddle. Sard, Whitford were the other goal kickers, uh, whilst Hammond kicked three for the Falcons, David Simpson and Stanton, the other goal kickers for them on the weekend. Ash Riddle led the possession getters on the ground with 30 touches, also took six marks and laid nine tackles. Jamie Stanton, the best for the Darabin Falcons, with 23 touches. Let's look ahead to round three and your tips. First of all, Saturday morning, 11.30am, bounce down. Live coverage from 10.30am on GoFooty.live. Simulcast through RSN Carnival 2, Geelong versus Collingwood at GMHBA Stadium. I'm really scratching my head and and puzzled to see um, what Collingwood can do. They've had two completely different performances. Geelong have been, uh, well, in a similar vein to that, um, they, they dropped the opening game against Melbourne University in pretty poor form. Uh, had a great result on the weekend, albeit a tight one against the Bombers. I'm leaning to the Cats, but only because it's at GMHBA Stadium. Um, I think this is going to be a very intriguing contest, and I'll be curious to see who comes out on top. Talk about intriguing contests at Bill Laurie Oval, Saturday, 12pm, Darabin versus Hawthorne. This was the game last year at the same venue, but it was later in the season that Darabin uh, got over the line against Hawthorne and I felt straightened Hawthorne up heading towards the, the finals. Might be a similar sort of thing. I think Hawthorne over the first two weeks will be very disappointed with how they've been travelling. I'm expecting them to be up and about this weekend, but also expecting the Darabin Falcons to perform fairly well their first game four premiership points on their home deck. So be expecting them to come out with a bit of fire in the belly and a bit of confidence after defeating Hawthorne the last time these two sides met. But uh, I'll go with my head and, and tip the Hawks. At the Swinburne Centre, Saturday, 12pm, Richmond play host to Essendon as part of the Dreamtime matches. Yeah, this was a, a fantastic event. We were there last year to, to broadcast this particular match in the VFLW and um, the last time these two sides met, again, similar to the Darabin Hawthorne, 
uh, Essendon got over the line against Richmond. It was a game later in the season out of Windy Hill. Um, but I would imagine Richmond would be too strong, although if they lapse like they did on the weekend for the middle two terms, may give Essendon an opportunity to jump in front. They've been competitive, as we've said a couple of times already. Um, going Richmond, but wouldn't be surprised if the Bombers get up to record their first win of the season. Saturday at Victoria University, Witten Oval, 4.30pm bounce down. We're live on air from 3.30pm on RSN Carnival 2. The Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne University. Well, if form is anything to go by and the names on the Melbourne University list in recent weeks, uh, I'd be expecting the Muggers to get this one comfortably. Um, I think they've just got too much top-end talent in the side at the moment. Having said that, when the teams are released, if they do start to bandage players, it could make it a tighter affair. But I just think they've got too much class at the moment with the names on their list, the Muggers. The Bulldogs will put up a fight, but expecting the Muggers to get the job done quite easily. Sunday, 11.30am at Downer Oval. Weemstown play host to the Casey Demons. This game is yes. first... Uh, sorry, pardon me, is second versus last. And Williamstown's third straight game at Downer Oval. Uh, slightly different to last week. It's a morning game rather than a, an evening match at Downer Oval. Um, Casey should get this one done quite easily. Uh, be around the five to six goal margin, I would think, but so long as Williamstown can keep taking positives away, their half-back line has been fairly good. Their intensity and pressure was good last weekend. Um, so hopefully uh, they can continue making small uh, gains as the season progresses. That's what we're looking to see from Williamstown over the course of the 2019 season. And finally, Sunday at Skybus Stadium in Frankston, 11.50am bounce down. We're live on air from 11am on RSN Carnival 2. The Southern Saints versus Carlton. Should be a very interesting game, this one. I reckon Carlton will be very disappointed with their opening match of the season. Uh, and the Southern Saints will be looking to respond after going down to the Northern Territory Thunder on the weekend. Tipping the Southern Saints because it is down at Skybus Stadium, but expecting Carlton to, to apply a bit of pressure and, and bring their full game and uh, not go out, and also a bit of accuracy too, given their result on the weekend. Uh, hoping it's a, a tight contest down in Frankston. Well, Coxie, thanks again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RACN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you this weekend. Yeah, it should be another cracking one. Just quickly, Pete, for the Northern Territory Thunder have the bye this weekend, and, of course, the GWS Giants Invitational Series has a bit of a fiesta until mid-June. Well, that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Or you can find the Women's Australian Rules Football page on the rsn.net.au website. Make sure to check that out. And don't forget to tune in to RSN Carnival 2 Digital Radio and warfradio.com. This weekend, three matches of football, 10.30am Saturday, Geelong versus Collingwood, courtesy of GoFooty.Live. At 3.30pm, the Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne University at Witten Oval. And then on Sunday at 11am, we present the Southern Saints versus Carlton at Skybus Stadium in Frankston. Until then, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company, and it's bye for now.